Well, if you would now turn your attention to God's Word. We've been looking in Psalms this summer, and this week we're looking at Psalm 121. We've looked at some Psalms pretty far off the beaten path. This is a little bit more well-known, Psalm 121. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can just follow in the bulletin the whole, the whole Psalms there. Got a very interesting phone call from my neighbor across the street just a few days ago. We have an elderly man that lives across the street. And uh, answered the phone, and he said, Brian, this is so-and-so across the street. I was wondering if you could come over here and take a look at something. And, you know, we've told him, this man living by himself, if you ever need anything, give us a call. He said, my cleaning lady's over here, and she found something strange uh, near my bed, and she thinks it's a bat. <laughs> and I asked, I think, the appropriate first question, is it dead? And he said, yeah, it's dead. And so I said, all right, I'm coming over. And um, so I went over, and uh, it's just the weirdest. It just got even the heebie-jeebies walking down the hallway toward his room. And then we look on the floor, and there's a dead bat. And uh, so we got them an action plan put together. But we, uh, you know, that's just the very best sort of news to find out, is that there's bats in the neighborhood, and they're going where people sleep. That's just... <laughs> Such a dose of encouragement and good news for anybody, really, if you think about it. Um, particularly to go where you're asleep. And because we, we all want to feel in control. We're not really in control. More on that later. But, uh, but you're aware of the fact that when you're asleep, you're vulnerable. And that's just what made it sort of extra heebie-jeebie-ish. It's, it's been interesting to me that for years now, when I've taught, and Jake and I have taught the uh, midweek Bible studies, that sometimes, you know, as we're, we're, we're teasing out a passage, we're teasing out some big thing that we're learning from God's Word. And so I like, you know, I'll throw out kind of an open-ended question to the group and say, all right, take this, what do you think, and just to draw out applications. And it is uncanny that one of the, the top applications that we come back to week after week after week is that... Just someone will say, I want control. I want control of my life, and I want to feel that I'm in control. And I bet you've had that experience where it, this could be someone you know personally. It could be a, a blog post that someone sends to you of someone writing from that they're very sick or, or they're dying or they've experienced great loss, they lost a child, they lost a spouse, and they're riding out of this experience. And I, and I, I know that happens to all kinds of human beings, but I'm thinking here particularly of, of Christians. And they'll, they're kind of, they're sort of in a different realm, and they're, and they're crying out to us, we are not in control. And simultaneously, we know they're right, and we don't want to feel it. Now, I, the reason I bring that up is as we read this psalm, I want you, to, I want you to, to imagine what it would be like to put these two things together because we don't normally put these two things together. The one would be not only acknowledging but really embracing non-control. Let's call it that. Let's not say out of control because that has different connotations. Embracing non-control with joyful confidence how, how can you put both those together? Let's look at Psalm 121. 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, now we ask that deep down in our hearts that you would give us ears to hear what's there. We can't hear it unless you enable us to. Uh, Would you give us eyes to see what's there? We can't see it unless you enable us to. Uh, Let us hear and see what you are saying. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a book that has been sitting on my bedside stand for months, and I don't know why it's been sitting there, because I was excited about getting it, and then it came to my house, and then I just put it up. Uh, Took it back out two days ago. This is Flannery O'Connor's prayer journal, and um, I've quoted her in here before. Southern writer from Georgia, and uh, this prayer journal is from when she's in her early 20s, which for her was middle age. She died at 39. And an amazing person, amazing writer. And, uh, you know, different books, movies, music, whatever, they land differently with different people. These these prayers really land with me. It's it's a different way of praying. It's really a journal, too. But her honesty is extremely refreshing. And I want you to hear one thing she says in one of the early prayers. She's, She's saying to God, God, what if I could just map out my insides? so that I knew every feeling, every up and down, if I I knew where they were and what they were. And then she says this, but what would I do about those feelings that are now fear, now joy, that lie too deep to be touched by my understanding? I am afraid of insidious hands, O Lord, which grope into the darkness of my soul. Please be my guard against them. I think that's an amazing prayer, and it, and, and it highlights something. It's, it's, it's bad enough that in a dangerous world, there are things externally that are so threatening, and that can be anything from criminals to a drunk driver to uh, an epidemic that just is, can get to you in, an, in a vulnerable world. But what she's acknowledging is that there's inward dangers. And I want to talk about those more in a second. I mean, it's even at the level, not so much of like cells or front door of my house or possessions or child or whatever. It's at the level of how I do life, how I feel, like my my internal stability. It's just a dangerous world and we're so vulnerable. This, this psalm, Psalm 121, is a song. I mean, that's true of all the psalms, but uh, this is one that, I'm going to unpack this in just a second, that really was sung apparently by people when there was the, a very felt sense of vulnerability. And now, here's, here's how I want to break this down. 
the context of the singers. When people sung Psalm 121, what was, what was the context? And then the keeper of the singers. All right, the context of the singers and the, and the keeper of the singers. First off, the context. Uh, I didn't put this in the, in the bulletin, but if you look at this psalm in almost any English Bible, and this is true of other psalms, there'll be like a little notation at the top. It might tell you what kind of psalm it is or who wrote it. Some do, some don't. But there's a group of psalms of which this one is a part, and they're called Songs of Ascent, as in going up, ascending. This is one of the Songs of Ascent. Old Testament scholars don't totally agree about what all that means, but generally the consensus is these were the psalms that Israelites reached for when they made pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And part of the law of God was that there were annual feasts, festivals, that a devout Israelite, if you could, you would travel to Jerusalem and you would celebrate this feast. And, you know, to state the obvious, no car, no train. This is, you know, you either have a mule or a camel or, or something, or you just, you just walk as a pilgrim. And so as you make that ascent, these were the psalms they reached for. Now, we don't know who wrote it. And we actually don't know what the occasion for writing it is. Some scholars think that if, when you look at, some, kind of read between the lines and look at the vocabulary, that it may, may have, we don't know, been written for the coronation of a king. That one of the Israelite kings, that this was written to say, hey, God's going to take care of you. God's going to be your protector, your, your guard. That's not so much what I want to look at because we don't know. The thing is, whoever wrote it and for whatever occasion, this was a go-to song that when people are on that pilgrimage that they sing. Now, why is that important? Uh, like I said on the front end, this is a somewhat well-known psalm. It's not as famous as the Lord is my shepherd, but it's kind of, it's kind of famous. And you may have heard that expression, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. That can really have at least a couple of connotations. One could be, for, again, for like a devout Israelite, that he or she is walking and they start to see this, this topography that they only see a few times a year. Maybe they can only come once a year. And it just has all the connotations of God's promises and the promised land and the temple being there and memories of going there in the past. There's all kinds of scriptures about the mountains and the hills around Jerusalem. And so just that, and just the fact that, you know, I mentioned this a week or two ago, hills and mountains and expanse, it, talks, it, it, it says things about God. So one thing could be that just the psalmist is saying, man, when I see not just hills in general, but those hills, those special hills, I, I think about God. And it makes me think about where the real help in my life comes from. Now, that, all that is valid. But there's another aspect that I think we may not think about that we, we ought to consider look at, looking at Psalm 121. Uh, to set this up, do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Very famous Bible passage. You know, there's a man who gets attacked by robbers and the priest passes him, and the Levite passes him, and then the Samaritan stops and cares for him, and the Samaritan's really a neighbor to him. All right. Do you, do you remember where the attack took place? This is actually in the parable. The man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level. 
And Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level. So it's, it's, he was in the descent. And in those hills, on those curves, those crags, wherever, he was attacked. Now, think about this. Um, when would you expect there to be more pickpockets than usual in New Orleans? Mardi Gras. You know, there's probably some there all the time, but they're really going to spike during Mardi Gras because that's when the people are there. When would you expect the critical mass of robberies and attacks in the area around Jerusalem? You would expect it at the time of the annual feasts when just thousands and tens of thousands of people are converging on this one place and they've got to travel up through these hills and the locals know it. So on the one hand, there's the sense of, wow, love those hills. makes me think about God's faithfulness, where my help comes from. But there's also the sense of, like, read this as someone who's traveling, and they're not like us. They don't have a locked container around them. You know, a car or a truck or a van or a jet is a locked container. But he or she is just walking up toward the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills, and I know what's happened to other people there. From where does my help come? And that's, that's worth thinking about. Um, I mean, because if you were an Israelite and you're on this pilgrimage, you're going there because God said to go there. Again, it was part of the law of God to keep these, these annual festivals. You're, you are where God wants you to be. But there's also the sense that as I am where God wants me to be, it may be getting more dangerous. It may be getting more insecure. Now, that's their context. But what's our context? We feel this all the time. I mean, you can be doing the thing that it's clear that God has called you to do, and you're trying to do it faithfully as someone that really believes Him and wants to, to follow Him. But you can start looking ahead and saying, I don't think that like me following God and being where I'm supposed to be is moving me toward less danger or more knowns, I think I'm moving toward more danger and more unknown. For a lot of you here, it may be that you feel that at work right now, that, God, I believe in you, and I took this job. It seemed like you made it very clear that this was what I was supposed to take, and I you know, prayed about it. And it seemed like they were all green lights, and I took this job, and I'm trying to be a faithful worker. And the nature of the job is changing because of factors that are out of my control. I don't know if you saw the cover of uh, this weekend's Upstate Business Journal. The headline was The Gig Economy. And it's talking about the fact that increasingly uh, we're affected by the fact that the way work is done, the way work is constructed now, it's more fluid, it's more flexible, but, and this was on the cover, but it's more insecure and unstable. So God, I, I'm, I'm going where you want me to go, but I, there's more unknowns. You could be here and you might say, you know what, uh, God, I believe in you and because I believe that you made me and my body's important, I do try to take care of it. Yeah, I'll you know, do some stuff that's not great for me, but I mean, I try to eat well and exercise and do these things. And I went to the doctor and the doctor said they saw something and they want me to come back. From where does my help come? Um, 
if you have a child that you care about, whether that's a child of your own or neighbor or you're an educator or niece, nephew, whatever, neighbor, this child is increasingly not around his or her parents or me or whoever. Um, this child is moving where I can't watch what they're doing. Or my child has just completely left town now and is at another school somewhere else and I have no oversight of him or her anymore. From where does my help come? And if we're honest, the answer to that question would be it comes from marshalling my resources immediately. So I will set up a video monitoring system in her dorm room and all her classes and in the trees in between the classes and the dorm room, which is really not plausible. And none of it's plausible. And it's just what I'm being ridiculous to say is that we don't have control. There's times where we feel it, you know, when we're on our game and things are kind of, we kind of feel like we're getting our ducks in a row. It feels like we're in control. And that's the pesky thing about the person um, who knows the Lord and gets a terminal disease and kind of from that other side, I don't mean dead, but from that other side, is speaking to us saying, you're not in control. We know they're right, but it's galling. That's our context. So what about the keeper of the singers? Well, um, this is a well-translated psalm. Not that the others aren't, but but some English translations don't keep a consistency here. And this translation really did a nice job. Listen to verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Six times in the psalm, God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, is identified as the one who keeps God's people. Now, when we say keeps God's people, let's unpack that. Is that... Do we think about that plural or singular? And it's both in the psalm, but one is emphasized more. Where's the plural? Look in verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel, the people of God, will neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, And that's a big deal. When I pronounce the benediction, you know, God's blessing, and just, by the way, it's good to say this every once in a while. When I pronounce the benediction, that's not me blessing you. Like, I don't have the power to generate a blessing. That's me on behalf of God pronouncing His blessing. It it originates with Him. But when I do that, about every other week, I'll use the words of the high priest from the Old Testament. And and of all the ways that God could have worded that blessing, because He said to the high priest, say it this way, what's the first line? The Lord bless you and keep you. And by the way, what does it mean to keep if we're going to park on this term for a while? pay personal attention to, pay careful attention to. You can translate the verb guard, attentively guard. That's to keep. So on the one hand, he keeps all of God's people. But he keeps every individual one of them. And this is, in, this is where grammar is important. Look in verse 3. 
He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Now, in English, second person... Don't, don't, don't fade on me, okay? Hang with me here. In the second person, you, in English, singular and plural look alike. Unless you go y'all, right? You and you. And then somebody caught me after the 830 service and said, then there's an extra plural, uh, all y'all. Which was actually used by the Beastie Boys, but I digress. Listen, all y'all, it's a sabotage. That's right. You don't always get that in a sermon now, do you? But, um, but, when, but in Hebrew, it is clear. Is it singular or plural? And it's singular in those verses. Like, he who keeps your life, like your individual life. So, he, you know, here's this pilgrim, he or she making their way to Jerusalem. And maybe it's, I love what I'm seeing or I'm nervous about what I'm seeing. Here's the simultaneous truth. The simultaneous truths. God keeps all His people. But God keeps you. God, He keeps you individually. Uh, when, when the psalmist unpacks that, what is said? And um, I, I found this kind of hard to summarize, so I, I hope this will be okay. This is going to cover a lot of ground in a little bit. He keeps us from outward threats and from inward threats. Um, a couple of verses here. Outward threats, verse 4. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Um, if you're asleep and you're traveling and you sleep outdoors, you can't be your own guard if you're asleep. And there's always the chance that whoever's posted to stand guard they can fall asleep. But God never sleeps. God never naps. God never dozes. Verse 6, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And that almost is, seems like it's drawing on the imagery of when the people were out in the wilderness and they could not care for themselves. How does God manifest Himself to them? Pillar of cloud by day to block them from the sun. Pillar of fire at night, light and warmth in the desert. Uh, a million different ways to go with, with this. Think about this. Think about here at the end of summer. It's almost September. Think of all the safe travel represented in this room. That just in the last few months, how many miles have been driven? How many of you flew places? And, and did other things. You, uh, you, you were tubing and water skiing and uh, mountain biking on trails, whatever. All, all that's represented here, and you were kept. Now, did every single one of us, before we set out, say, Lord, we beseech you to keep us safe on every step of this journey. We, we ask you and we plead with you to keep us safe on this mountain bike trail. And when we all got back, did we say, Lord, thank you that despite what we deserve... And all our sin that you kept, maybe, maybe, you know, if you're scared of flying, you probably prayed a lot of that right before you flew. But, and that's a great thing to do. But whether you did or not, he, he did not slumber or sleep. Now, in the interest of being realistic, I know that, I mean, I would think that at least some of us are thinking right now, but people, people who believe in God and follow Him get hurt. 
You know? Like, I don't say it flippantly, people who believe in him can be beheaded or be in awful car wrecks or get extremely sick. But think about even Jesus himself saying to his apostles, this is in Luke chapter 21. He says to them, you're going to be my my spokesman and it's going to get you in trouble. And when you go get in trouble, it's going to give you the opportunity to speak on my behalf. So speak on my behalf. And he says this, not a hair on your head will perish. And that's interesting because almost all of them were martyred. So how could Jesus say, not a hair of your head will perish? What is Psalm 121 saying and what is Jesus saying? They're saying, God has His book with all our days in it. It has when we are born, and it has when we die. And in between those days, God will enact His plan. And we say that we believe that. But deep down, when, there's, you know, when, when our sense of not having control, when it spikes, there's the feeling that I'm going to die before that date in that book says. Or my child's going to die before the date in that book says. God keeps His people. It will go just the way it's supposed to, as long as it's supposed to, and that can't be thwarted. Outward threats. But what about inward threats? I mean, think about what what Flannery O'Connor said, that I just, Lord, I feel these hands trying to reach in me and get at me. And when she said that, that's just, that's not rhetorical flourish. I I think she's taking seriously that Jesus took seriously the reality of evil, not as an abstraction, but as real beings. The demonic, even the satanic. All the the scriptures do. Um, uh, More personally, a recurring conversation, a recurring topic with uh, friends who are around my age. I'm, I'm mid-40s now. And a recurring topic is that we are watching the wheels come off with our peers. And please hear me. I'm not saying that in a holier-than-thou way, and I'm not saying that as if I'm incapable of that. All our wheels, whatever decade you're in, can come off like that. But what I'm saying is, we're watching people that you know we grew up with or they were in our class or they were in our church, they were in our youth group and we're just watching massive devastation in their life. And if you're at all self-aware, it's making, it should make us ask the question, am I next? You know, is, is this little thing that when I was a teenager or in my 20s that was just like a little sapling beside the house of my life, some habit, some little quirk, some family pattern that I just, I, I kind of know I have it, but it's not a big deal. Is that little sapling, by the time I get into my 50s or 60s or however long God li- lets me live, is that thing going to just grow into a tree that pushes up and just lifts the roof off my house and a storm comes in? Because I don't know that I can spot them all and do anything about it. And and here's what's amazing. This psalm is saying, you can't. It's not as if 
We are not called to do the hard work of self-examination, of really looking at our hearts and our lives as best we can under the light of God's Word, and having a community of people that can bring objectivity in our lives that we lack. But when it comes to the work of actually changing the way we see that we need to change or don't see, do we do it? It is God who is our keeper. Not just in the plural, but for everyone who believes in Him. The Lord is your keeper. Literally, verse 7 can be translated, The Lord will keep you from all evil. And that's the evil reaching in, but it's the evil that's already in there. He will keep your... You can translate that, your soul. Uh, my... One of my childhood pastors, at the end of every service, he would use a a doxology, and it's from the end of the book of Jude. That's that little book right before Revelation. Kind of gets the shaft, which is sad, because it's a great little book. And at the end of Jude, it says, uh, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, Jude 24, be honor and glory forever. Um, what if you're here and you're saying, just really, as you're hearing this, you're thinking, I like the sound of that. I just don't know if that's going to happen because I'm watching my life and I'm watching habits that don't change. I'm watching family patterns that I hated growing up and am propagating. And that is the awful thing about family, family sins, family patterns. I I, I hated being under this, and now I'm fostering it. Um, What do I do? Let's back up. Context, people going to Jerusalem. When you got to Jerusalem, where was the action? If you're a devout Israelite, what's the most important building in the world? The temple. What happened at the temple? The worship of God the great sacrifices on behalf of God's people. Um, We don't go there anymore. Why don't we do that? Because the the New Testament is just singing that the sacrifice, the definitive sacrifice, has already been made. The lamb to whom all the other lambs and bulls pointed has been sacrificed once for all. He's cleansed Israel, not just as a whole, but all the individual members of it. But then on top of that, when He ascends into heaven, brings His blood on our behalf with Him, then He sends a gift to His people on earth. It's a gift that He promised to send. What's the the gift? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in a temple. Where is the temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in? Jerusalem? America? Does God live in this building? Please, let's not ever, ever, ever do the thing where some kid is like graffitiing on the wall and, you know, scold them for writing on God's house. This is not God's house. We're God's house. And Paul says, 
that's plural and singular. He says in 1 Corinthians that all the people of God are the temple of God. All the people of God are His house, His temple. But every individual believer is too. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a temple of the living God, the third person of the Trinity. And I mean, if you're sitting here, believe me, I, I get it, and you're, and you're feeling, I, I just, I don't know. I want to believe that He'll keep me. I, I see that it says that He'll keep me. But I just wonder, am I going to look up and at the end I don't make it? In and of ourselves, none of us could. The assurance of you making it is that He keeps you. And it's not just something He does. He is your keeper. He is your keeper. Well, lastly, what if still you you just have to be honest and say, I just, I like that, but I don't feel it. I like that, but I don't experience it. Well, let me ask you this. What, What do you and I guard? What do you and I in our lives keep? Um, I've had four guitars in my life, and every guitar got nicer. But the one I have now was given to me totally unexpectedly, total surprise by this generous uh, family, this generous gift. And it's the nicest guitar I think I-, I could ever. It's so much more than I thought I would ever get. And um, I said in the 8:30 service, I, I kind of hope that burglars don't listen to this podcast because I do have a very valuable guitar. But then I said, I, actually, I do wish burglars would listen to this podcast and repent <laughs> and with the rest of us, and we could all worship together. But, uh, you know, th- really, it's this fourth guitar where, you know, I've, 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 I've had an occasion where someone was over at the house, not, maybe not someone my age, but maybe, I don't know, younger, and they've said, could I play your, your guitar? And I've actually said, um, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. And it's just, I mean, ugh. If, if you ask, I'll let you. But it, it's, it's, it, it's valuable. Like, I guard it and keep it because it's valuable. And here is something that's true, whether, whether you're feeling it right now or not. Going all the way back to Exodus, Mount Sinai, God says, you will be my treasured possession. And the Israelites... And the church have given him trillions of reasons not to treasure us. And he does. And here's the beautiful thing. Like, here's the takeaway. Whether we feel that or not, it can be very liberating to understand you don't have to act based on how you feel. I do most of the time. I just feel my feelings. They're just right there. But we have been freed. If you have been freed by God from your sin, you are free not to live by how you feel. But you are free to live by what's true. And what's true is that you're His treasured possession. And so He's going to guard you. And you don't have to have control because He has it. And He treasures us enough to send His treasure on our behalf. Amen. Let's pray. Father God,
it is hard for us to believe this is true, not because you haven't demonstrated it, but in our sin, in our distrust, in living by sight, in unbelief, we go with what we feel or observe rather than what is true. Would you transform us to be a people who actually live knowing that you will keep us, that you are our keeper, you'll protect our outside, and you'll guard and keep our inside? Would you make this true and real in our heart of hearts? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.